However, he clarified that satisfaction of a need is not an all or none phenomenon, admitting that his earlier statements may have given the false impression that a need must be satisfied 100% before the next need emerges. Keeping this in mind, looking at the form of the pyramid, we see that our most basic need is for physical survival, and this will be the first thing that motivates our behaviour. Once that level is fulfilled, the next level is what motivates us, and so on. Bullshit. Excuse you? I said bullshit. I don't appreciate that language in my classroom. It's codswallop, wishwash, tripe, folderol. It's rubbish. Last year he said that capitalism was a beautiful system, and that if a poor person wanted to make more money, they could just figure out a service they could provide to make more money to not be poor anymore. You said that the poor have more power under capitalism than any other system. Yes, I did say that. I fail to see the connection. But if Maslow is saying that we need to meet our basic physiological needs before being able to pursue and attain esteem and self-actualization, then how is a poor person who's struggling to feed themselves and keep a roof over their head meant to have the internal resources to access the creativity and self-esteem and confidence that you've told us is needed to start a business when you're saying that they can't pursue those attributes that are on the higher level of Maslow's pyramid. I'm not saying that they can't pursue them at all. What I'm saying is that this theoretical person would not be motivated by the pursuit of creativity. If a person is struggling to put food on the table, they won't be motivated by an internal need to foster self-esteem. They'll be motivated by the need to eat. And as I mentioned earlier, each level is not an all or none attainment. But with this general pyramid shape, we can approximate the attention needed to address each level of the need. So it's about what motivates people in their actions. Correct. But then the order's all messed up. If your belonging and intimacy needs are satisfied, then you'll be motivated by physiological needs. But if you're devoid of social connection, when people are majorly isolated, people stop eating and they stop sleeping. Prisoners in solitary confinement, even those with no history of mental health issues, will start to self-harm, even fatally so. Even though they're being fed and they're being provided water and shelter and air and sleep, that seems pretty counterproductive, right, to the physiological needs of trying to keep one's body alive. It seems to me that if the love and belonging and safety needs aren't being met, it doesn't matter how many physiological needs aren't being met or not. People will shit on that lowest rung of the pyramid if they can't attain a sense of connection and belonging that's listed on the middle rung. They'll completely spin up. Language. That's your last warning. <laughs> I hear what you're saying about the love and belonging tier being vital. But the tiers exist in ranks of urgency. If a human goes without air, they'll die pretty quickly. Same for water and sleep and shelter. Humans can go for longer without the other deficit needs. But you just said that the hierarchy was about what motivates people's actions and behaviors, not what they need to survive. Potato, tomato. No, but they're not the same thing though. Just look at the rhesus monkeys. Look, you've been taking up a lot of time in class today and I do appreciate your contributions, but I'd like to hear someone else's input. 800 bees in a human suit? That's very interesting, I hadn't thought about that. Could you elaborate? Okay, class dismissed.
I'm Dr. Tony Zimmerman, your problematic fave. And tonight, I'm gonna be telling you the story of Harry Harlow and the Pit of Despair. That's how you're gonna start? Yeah, too much. No, just clarifying, carry on. Harry Harlow was a psychologist who, in the mid 20th century, conducted social isolation experiments on rhesus monkeys. In his total social isolation experiments with baby rhesus monkeys, the monkey subjects would be left completely devoid of social contact for varying periods of time, up to two years. The subjects were left in the aptly named Pit of Despair, a chamber that had food and water and a mesh floor to remove waste. After just 30 days, the total isolates, as they were called, were found to be enormously disturbed. One of the six monkeys that was isolated for a three-month period refused to eat after their release and died five days later. The autopsy attributed the death to emotional anorexia. Even the happiest monkeys came out damaged. These experiments produced monkeys that were severely psychologically disturbed, even after their release back into monkey society. From this, we can tell that social-physical touch connections are vital for the mental well-being of primates. Okay, firstly, that's really awful, and definitely animal abuse. But also, how much of that physiological trauma was due to lack of physical touch? And how much was it due to lack of other things known to be important for mental well-being, like exercise and time spent in nature, being able to see the sky, breathe fresh air, hear the birds sing. Hmm, I suppose you're right if we only look at the results of those experiments, there is no way of knowing, but other studies on the benefits of touch show how incredibly important and beneficial touch can be for social species, specifically humans. Tiffany Field of the Touch Research Institute at the University of Miami explains that when you touch the skin, it stimulates pressure sensors under the skin that sends a message to the vagus nerve, which is a nerve in the brain. As vagal activity increases, the nervous system slows down, heart rate and blood pressure decrease, and your brain waves show relaxation. Levels of stress hormones such as cortisol are also decreased. Touch releases oxytocin. In other words, human touch is biologically good for you. Being touched makes humans feel calmer, happier, and more sane. This might be a silly question. Is this, um, is this a sex thing? Oh, no. Did you think it was? Okay, I might need to mention somewhere in the presentation that the touch I'm talking about is not inherently sexual or erotic. I'm mostly talking about platonic touch between friends, family, siblings, acquaintances, even strangers. And of course I have to mention that seeking and giving and receiving touch has to be consensual. Even though I maintain that everyone needs human touch on some level, you can't just take that from someone. It's not the same as appropriating food or water from a person or company if you need it to survive. And it's not moral or ethical to breach someone else's bodily autonomy while seeking to get your touch needs met. But talking about navigating touch consent might be its whole other presentation. Oh, I'd be keen to hear that too. If you're happy to have me as a test audience again. Yeah, sure. So um, the next point is Corey Floyd of the Hugh Downs School of Human Communication describes the construct of affection deprivation, the condition of wanting more tactile affectionate communication than one receives. 
individual and group level variants on the constructs investigated and its social and health correlations are identified in a survey of 509 adults. Affection deprivation shows no correlation with age and no relationship with ethnicity, but men report significantly higher average affection deprivation than women. Moreover, as affection exchange theory predicts, affection deprivation shows positive linear associations with, are you ready for this? Loneliness, depression, stress, alexithemia, preoccupied and fearful avoidant attachment styles and a number of personality disorders, mood and anxiety disorders, and secondary immune disorders. Affection deprivation shows negative linear associations with general health, happiness, social support, relationship satisfaction, and attachment security. Wow, and the gender split, that's because in many places bros don't cuddle because they're scared of being gay, presumably. Two bros chilling outside, six feet apart because there's social distancing. Okay, I believe you that touch is important for mental health, but I don't think it's a need by definition. By that, do you mean that you believe touch is important for mental health, but not vital for survival? Okay, let's examine what we both mean by need. For me, need is to require something because it is essential or very important rather than just desirable. Mm, very important. When I say it's not a need, what I'm saying is that if the purpose is to stay alive, we can go without touch. If you go without water or food, you'll just die. Going without touch sucks, but I'm pretty sure people do it all the time. Hell, <laughs> when I was in high school, I got bullied so badly, I didn't really have any friends. I probably went without touch for months. Probably? Or did you? Well, I think so. Your dad never gave you a pat on the shoulder. You didn't go to the hairdressers and have them touch your scalp once or twice. You didn't bump into a stranger on public transport? Well, I couldn't say for sure. Can we agree that that's not a great example then? Yeah, okay. I realized that even though some of the rhesus monkeys died due to the social and touch isolation experiment, monkeys aren't humans. And so I am expecting some folks might not accept this as good supporting evidence of my claim that physical touch between humans is a need. So I'll be looking at human examples of touch isolation. Of course, one of the most documented scenarios is solitary confinement. A JAMA study examined mortality outcomes for over 200,000 people in North Carolina who were released from prison. It's found that people placed in restrictive housing, which is solitary confinement, were 24% more likely to die in the first year after they were released from prison. The risk was particularly acute for certain causes of death. Those who had been held in solitary confinement were 78% more likely to die by suicide than those released from prison at the same time, but who had spent no time in solitary. What if the types of people who are more abrasive and combative are both more likely to be put in solitary confinement and are more likely to commit suicide? Well, that doesn't feel good in my gut. What you're saying sounds like it could be true. I suppose there's no way of knowing what's causality or what's correlation here. If touch is so important, then what about the pandemic though? What if someone's so isolating and having a right down nightmare of a time, but they still need to social distance? There's an article where an anarchist thinker discusses what they call affinity groups. 
social distancing must not mean total isolation. We won't be safer if our society is reduced to a bunch of atomized individuals. That would neither protect us from the virus, nor from the stress of the situation. As much as the elderly are at risk from the virus, for example, older people are already dangerously isolated in the society. Cutting them off from all contact with others will not preserve their physical or mental health. All of us need to be embedded in tight-knit groups in a way that maximizes both our medical safety and our collective capacity to enjoy life and take action. Isn't it a bit irresponsible? I hear that you're concerned about people's physical health. What I'm saying is that implying such a clear distinction between physical and mental health is itself misleading. Loneliness is processed in the same part of the brain as physical pain. The brain is still an organ. My distinction is that mental health issues aren't contagious. I'd rather do what I need to do to protect the health and safety of the entire species. I'm not gonna mess that up just for a touch fix. But responsibly merging your solo bubble with another bubble can have minimal risk of contagion and the alternative could be lethal. I still believe that allowing yourself to seek out consensual touch in a responsible and risk-aware way by joining a closed bubble and advocating for others to do the same if needed I think it's going to save more lives than telling everyone who lives alone to just stay isolated in their own homes. And you, you're part of the entire species that you're wanting to save. Your life is important here too. It's not a zero-sum scenario. There are ways to get your touch needs met without increasing risk. In the case of merging your bubble with another bubble and then only having one person shopping for the lot of you, I'd argue that you're minimizing risk in that case by having fewer people go out into public. There are many ways for people to responsibly and kindly take care of themselves while practicing risk mitigation. I'm not advocating for throwing a big anonymous cuddle party in the middle of a pandemic. I'm talking about an intentional, planned, small bubble merge. If we push for folks to stay isolated no matter what, People are gonna find ways to get their physical touch needs met regardless and maybe not as safely. And we sometimes make non-optimal decisions because that need for touch is more primal than the decision-making part of the brain. I want you to work from the mindset that touch connection is vital to mental health and that people can find ways to safely and consensually have their touch needs met while not putting others in danger. There are ways to be compassionate and respectful about social responsibility during a pandemic and also be kind and considerate towards yourself and your own mental health. The two are not mutually exclusive. When I first started solo isolation, I thought I was doing this noble, heroic thing. I thought I was being my most responsible self by being completely solo isolated and that I could just tough it out indefinitely. I thought that that was the only way to responsibly save people's lives. But that wasn't true. And the life I was neglecting was my own. I'm a person too, and my life is also worth saving. I need human contact. My brain can't function without it for months on end. Touch starvation is so real, and I don't want any of you to learn that the hard way.